Where are we at in society today? Come after me. I'm a man. I'm 40. Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, we're back for another episode of Out of Line. I'm joined by recurring guest. Uh, well, not really recurring. Your first time on the show, but, you know, uh, John Gross, how are you doing today? Nick, anytime I get to talk college football with you is a great day, so I'm doing very That's well today. Right. That's right. We had a weekend of uh, favorites. Um, I bet a bunch of games, um, and the only games that – I bet a bunch of games last week. I know you're not a better, but I am. Uh, and all the games that I won were just betting favorites. Like I didn't think, I never thought in my life that I would have a pro- that I would have a problem with winning bets because I bet too many underdogs. I never thought that would happen. I mean, they're favorites for a reason, though, right? Well, no, I mean, like against the spread. I see what you're saying. Against the spread, I I took um, I, I foolishly took Miami. Uh, against Texas A&M, they really showed their true colors. Even though Miami easily could have covered that spread, they essentially tried to win that game off of field goals alone. If one of them was a 49-yard field goal, so that's kind of hard to make for college kickers. I mean, for college kickers, they struggle with like 25-yard field goals. <laughs> but um, with, with my, but it, if one of those, if the 36-yard field goal wasn't blocked, basically if not for us, because whenever a, a field goal like that gets, whenever a field goal gets blocked, it's some type of special teams blunder. So basically, I would have won that game off of them just kicking a bunch of field goals if not for that special teams blunder. Other than that, I won all five of my games. Other than that. Uh, one thing I noticed is that people were, like, really high on uh, – people were, like, really high on uh, Miami to be a- to uh, cover against A&M because A&M was so bad. Again, like, they lost against App State and they were supposed to be so much better. But, like, Miami didn't play anybody. They played nobody. Like how good were they really supposed to be? And they didn't—they didn't even score one touchdown. All they were able to do was kick field goals. And Texas A&M's offense sucks, and they were still not able to beat them. No, and I think you look at the way that Miami played that game. It was the definition of shooting yourself in the foot, holding penalties in crucial drives, uh, the the special teams issues. There was the the opportunity at the end where they had a drop pass, one of many drop passes. I know they were without their top receiver under Strepo, but uh, you're right. To not be able to score a touchdown is, is pretty rough. Uh, and, and yeah, like you said, they haven't played anybody this season. They played, what, Bethune-Cookman and Southern Miss? 
uh, that's not necessarily uh, the, the the toughest competition. No, no offense to those two schools, but no team yeah, that has I mean, the word Southern in it is tough competition. And yeah, the, the directional schools tend to not be so great. I mean, you, we always joke the directional Michigan schools. That's where the Big Ten teams play. Penn State plays Central Michigan this weekend. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember. I remember Baylor played uh, one of Baylor's non-conference games one year was Lamar, and I was like, "What is Lamar?" Yeah, Lamar like, FCS schools in the Southland Conference. Yep. Yeah. Listen, you always see early, either earlier in the year or when it's an SEC team, the second to last weekend of the year. People who are just casual college football fans will always learn about a new college they never heard of before. Yeah, but even people who are big college football fans eventually That's true. Hear, sometimes hear like never heard of a school. But like so many college football and basketball fans only know about schools because of sports. I don't think yes. I ever would have heard of Ball State for the academics. I don't think that like I th- I don't think I ever would have heard of Ball State. I'm surprised by that because of their most famous invention. What is it? They invented the ball. Oh well, you know <laughs> that's why they call it Ball State. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, so I don't know if you, I saw Herm Edwards got fired. Herm Edwards, he got fired for basically it, it was uh, he lost they they lost to Eastern Michigan. They paid um, what was it one point five million dollars for Michigan for to just to lose to Eastern Michigan. It goes to show you what a sham the whole non conference thing is because these teams could basically buy themselves wins. But I always find it amusing when a team thinks they're buying a win. And then they lose. Like that, that, they have some buyer's remorse on this. It's like buying a. De- it's like in Seinfeld when Newman got the defective radar uh, radar detector. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it makes me think of. That's basically and, and, what and, Arizona State did. They're the Newman of college football for this week. <laughs> and, and, and it isn't like you fired, can return this purchase. Field. It is like so. Now he has to like fly commercial back. And if you've ever flied with like a team or fly first class. It's like being treated like cattle trying to fly commercial. I can speak from experience. I had the opportunity to travel with multiple teams, uh, whether it's a nice coach bus or on a private jet. And yes, it's it's night and day. I have to say, you pull up on the tarmac on your team bus and then you go to the plane. No security, nothing. So that is miserable getting back to the to the quote unquote regular people way of travel. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to like worry about them thinking like a water bottle is going to blow up the plane. That's never happening on the, on a private jet. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised that I haven't gotten in more trouble yet. Maybe my name is in some database because I always get caught accidentally trying to bring a water bottle on the plane. <laughs> I have I put I bring like twenty water like no I should restate that i bring like four or five water bottles with me per broadcast just in case and one of them is bound to be buried under all my notes on my laptop and i just forget about it yeah every time i go to the airport tsa what are you trying to sneak (laughs) exactly (laughs) last time they were concerned about a stapler that i had (laughs) yeah like you're gonna use it as a weapon i who knows i guess you're creative have you ever accidentally like cut yourself with a stapler it's very painful uh, thankfully, knock on wood, I have not. But I understand they're just doing their job and they're keeping us safe. So major shout out to TSA. They they truly are uh, truly are heroes of the airport. Yeah, yeah, airport heroes. I just yeah, they can move a little faster. 
<laughs> it's all about the TSA pre-check, though, Nick. You got to get yeah, all about the pre-check. Uh, anyway, so uh, you know, all of this just to lose to Eastern Michigan, I find it extremely amusing that this actually happened and Herm Edwards got fired on the field like like an animal, like basically. Uh, it's it's like uh, Lane, it's like the way Lane Kiffin got fired, basically. Exactly. It, it's pr- it's pretty amazing how it happened. It's essentially the same thing that happened with Nebraska, except Arizona State is a better team than Nebraska, and and I'm sure Herm Edwards. I, I don't know, actually. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they did lose to Eastern Michigan. Nebraska is that bad. Nebraska really is that bad. It's crazy to me how so many people were big on Nebraska for the weekend that like. They're like, well, you know, they have like an interim head coach. They have like a new guy. It's like, it's the same team. It's still Scott Frost's team. Like the coach builds the team. The guy takes over. What makes you think the guy's going to be so good that they're that now they're just going to be, be able to let, be so good against Oklahoma? Like it's still the same team and it's an interim head coach. How good is an interim head coach going to be? Like what experience do they have? Yeah, interim head coaches can bring a wrinkle here, a wrinkle there, maybe motivate a team a little bit differently. But I, I ascribe to the old saying, it's about the Jimmys and Joes, not the X's and O's. This yes. is the same Nebraska team that went 3-9 and nine a year ago, the same Nebraska team that struggled for the last decade or so, uh, really since they joined the Big Ten. They have just the not been killed very good. The Big Ten killed them. They killed Nebraska, I think. I, like That is... That is the point. Although, but at least they were okay when Mike Riley was their head coach. They were, they were. for a couple of months at a time. I remember one time for, for a little bit of time in 2016, I thought the four best teams, which for a while it looked like this, that the four top teams in the Big Ten were Michigan, Ohio State, um, Wisconsin, and Nebraska. And then what happened for a in 2016? Time, that's what it was. What, and then what happened at the end of that season? By Ohio State, everybody's like, all right, not Nebraska. Uh, <laughs> that's basically how it went. And yeah. And I think the interesting thing about Nebraska is, is they caught the old, uh, very good, not great disease, right? Bo Pelini right. had them at nine wins every season. Once in a blue moon, they'd win 10 games under Bo Pelini and Nebraska fans said that wasn't good enough because they, they hearken back to the old Tom Osborne days, of the nineties when they won a couple of national titles. But the reality is, is that it's incredibly difficult to win 11 games, to win 10 games, to win nine games, to, to win in general. It's incredibly difficult. Yeah. They got a little bit greedy. They forced up Bo Pelini. And you're right, you're right. Mike Riley did some okay things. And they bring in it Scott Frost that thinking that he – No, thinking that he's going to be a godsend. Now, now Mike Riley just wasn't a fit for, 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 Nebraska, for Nebraska, just culturally, whatever. They, they didn't take to him well. But Scott Frost was supposed to be the chosen one. A legendary player at Nebraska. He just led UCF, UCF to an unbeated season. Didn't work out. Did not work out. And I think wherever Nebraska goes next, I don't think Mickey Joseph, the interim head coach, unless he has some miraculous turnaround, will will get the head job. But they can't worry about making that sexy hire. They have to get somebody who who is just the best option out there. Forget about the press release. Go out there, get somebody who you believe in that can actually build this program and that will be able to take two, three, four years to really rebuild. And you have to be willing to give them the time to rebuild because so many of these former Blue Blood programs do not allow their coaches to have enough time to rebuild. Right, right. Although I do think they gave Scott Frost enough time. They gave him like 
four full seasons, I guess. Yes, absolutely. And it wasn't just that Scott Frost wasn't winning. It was the way that they were losing. Right. Last year, three and nine, but like every loss was within a touchdown. Similar story this year. At a certain point. And then when they lost to Georgia, and then when they, and then when they lost to a Georgia Southern, it was just. Right. I mean, that, that was, that was, that was the, was the uh, the straw that broke the camel's back. But at a certain point, when you have so many close games like that, that's when you have to look at the man in charge and say, clearly there's something you're not doing right and we need to make a change. And that's yeah. exactly what Nebraska did. And that, that's a program that there's no reason that they should not be a top 25 team every single season with the history that they have. Uh, but uh, I think joining the Big Ten, it's a lot more competitive than what they had at times in the Big 12. Yeah, it was a real big waste of money. They 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 seem to have a lot of buyer's remorse. And it was also I, just based on the fact that he was like because he was a good player at Nebraska, that means he's gonna be a great coach. Obviously, that's not well, necessarily true. In sports well, yeah, I, you could be a really good player and stink as a head coach. Isaiah Thomas was a great point guard, he was a horrible head coach. Like it's the same type of thing. But Nick, if you had asked me when Scott Frost got to Nebraska, if I thought that he was a great coach, I would have said yes. I would have said so too. I think almost everybody would have said so. Yeah, but like so to me. But for teams to fire a coach that they spent so much money on, a lot of times, like they just don't give up hope on them. It seems like. Sorry, Scott Frost was just so bad that they felt like they had to do it. They could have waited until October first. The buyout would have been half the price. I don't know why they. Like they just felt like they had to get rid of him right away. I think the fans may weren't didn't believe in him anymore. Whatever the reason was, they were willing to spend an extra seven and a half million dollars to get rid of him when they could have gotten rid of him like three or four weeks later. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you what I think. I think the new trend in college football and college sports in general is you see these team these uh, athletic directors firing head coaches earlier in seasons, which then gives them a bit of a head start to pick out their targets, who they want next, get in contact with them when they're allowed to, be in touch with their agents, and try to get the ball rolling. Because if you wait now till the end of the season to fire a coach, you are behind the eight ball. Nebraska, they're ahead of the game. There are a couple of Arizona State. They're ahead of the game now, right? They have all season to cultivate a list and try to develop relationships and then close, uh, seal the deal right when the season ends. Another thing, in addition to getting ahead of the game and getting a good coach, is recruiting. Like, you you have to have a coach in place as soon as the season ends for next year. Otherwise, you have no shot with this early uh, signing day now in December. Yeah. So, uh, Penn State had a pretty big win against uh, Auburn. Uh, that's a big uh, 41-12. Uh, they Nick Singleton had the, the new running back at Penn State, Nick Singleton. He rushed for like Nicholas. Nicholas. Yards. He prefers Nicholas. He prefers Nicholas. I've never met a, a, somebody named Nicholas who prefers the name Nicholas. I've never heard of that before. So he's a first just on that regard. <laughs> and, and, and you can speak from experience. Nicholas changes their name to Nick. <laughs> <laughs> well, evidently he goes by Nicholas, and given how well he's been playing. He could tell me to call him whatever he wants, and I'll call him that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, he's been, he rushed for 124 yards. He had a really big game. I didn't expect Penn State to win by this much. I can't tell if it said more about Penn State or Auburn. Probably both. Probably both that Penn State was able to win by that much on the road, and then on Auburn was just so terrible. I'm with you. I think it's both. And I'm going to look at this from the Penn State lens to begin with. I think look at 
the times that Penn State under James Franklin has come just short of the playoff, it's to me, it's because of two things, and they really go hand in hand. It's because of a lack of a dominant offensive line and a lack of an ability to finish out games when leading, right? Look at right. Uh, the Rose Bowl 2016, Ohio State 2017, 2018, Michigan State 2018. The list goes on. Penn State had one or two score leads late in those games, but they could not run the football because they didn't have a dominant offensive line to put games away, right? Hands in hand. Well, against Auburn, they built that lead up, and they just kept on running and kept on running and kept on running. And if Penn State can continue to do that this year, I see no reason why they cannot compete for a Big Ten title. I agree with you. I think they. I think that uh, it could be something which brings us to our next topic uh, about Penn State potentially winning the Big Ten. Overall, I still think Michigan and Ohio State are the two best teams so far. It looks like uh, uh, you, you, you learned a lot about Michigan when they're in their game against was it the UConn game, the Colorado State game, or the Hawaii <laughs> well, game? That you I learned a lot about the, Michigan. You know what's funny is that they don't actually <laughs> cover any of these games. It doesn't mean anything in terms of how good they are, but they they never cover these games, and I always take the under because at some point. Against these teams, Michigan, like they're up by so much that they just stopped trying. So I always took the under. The over-under in the, in the game against UConn was like 60 or 60 and a half, something like that. And Michigan won 59 nothing. That, that Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm always of the opinion that when it comes to very good teams, you learn absolutely nothing about them when they play very bad teams. And it's for, true about I think teams for, too. Exactly. I, I think so. But I think it also goes the other way, too. For mediocre teams that are playing really good teams, I still don't think right, you necessarily right. learn a ton about them. Um, but for Michigan, until they actually show me something against a decent opponent, and they have Maryland this weekend, which will be by far and away their best opponent, which says a lot about their schedule so far. So far. But until and, they and show me something good, joke. It, it's literally the worst ever. Um, but until they show me something against a good team and really their first test will be against Penn state in the big house, October 15th. Um, I, I, I'm not sold on them. I might get some flack here for many Michigan fans that we have watching, but, and this is not me criticizing Michigan. This is just my honest opinion about them last year. I think they caught lightning in a bottle. I think it was LSU, a la, like LSU 2019. I think the stars aligned. They had a very experienced team, a senior related roster, Guys who had been there and done that, great offensive line. I think they caught lightning in a bottle. This yeah. year, this is this is the real test for Jim Harbaugh in Michigan this season. Well, I mean, they caught lightning in a bottle like LSU, except LSU won. So <laughs> not quite right. The same right, but but for Michigan getting to the playoff and usurping Ohio State as as the best team of the Big Ten last year, beating Ohio State head to head, that is that's the next best thing to winning a national title. Yeah, for Michigan, for sure. I, I mean, for like, Michigan. I was I was high on Michigan. Look, I'm, I'm not saying I know anything yet. This is why I think AP polls in the beginning of the season are the biggest bullshit anyway. Who cares? Like, who knows enough about these teams? Even if you're, like, the expert. Even if you're an expert in college football. Experts don't really know that much. But, like, no. you know, you just kind of go with your gut a little bit. That's basically all the rankings are. We really, like I said, we don't know how good Michigan is. Although I will say... Compared to other teams, I will give them a little bit of credit here that they were at least able to do what they were supposed to do. You can't say that about everybody. You can't say that about Notre Dame. You can't say that about Texas A&M. So at least Michigan has that going for them. And it's really just based on how they have a really good defense. 
So, and a really, and supposedly a, a high powered offense. So we don't really know that yet because I haven't played anybody that good, but it, it's just sure. It's similar to USC thing. Like, you, like a lot of times, like I remember um, Joel Klatt, I'm sure you know who that is. He's an analyst on Fox mm-hmm. uh, sports. And he always, and he was talking about like USC and how like they're more fit a couple weeks ago before they even played Fresno state. Uh, they, he talked about how efficient they were on offense and when the best team they played was Stanford, I don't even remember the first team they played. It was it was such an easy schedule so far. It's like, what do we really know about them in terms of their offensive efficiency when they've played nobody? It's the same kind of thing with Michigan. We don't really know yet. Um, but I do think Penn State could win. I just don't think they will. But I think it could be a similar situation to 2016. I think they could easily split the two. I could, I could see them splitting, uh, beating Ohio State. And uh, losing to uh, and losing to Michigan, and it could be like the same thing that it was then. Well, in that situation, let's say all us being equal, Penn State either beats Michigan and loses to Ohio State, or vice versa. You're talking about an 11 and one Penn State team, multiple ranked wins, a win on the road, a dominant win on the road at Auburn. Now, Penn State don't need Auburn to be decent. But to me, that's a lock for a playoff spot. Even if Auburn turns out to be bad, it's probably a better win against Auburn than most teams are going to get. Absolutely, and the way that they did it. So I think an 11-1 Penn State team, any Penn State fan would take that, even if it doesn't result in a Big Ten title, because you're, at that point, basically a shoe-in for the playoff. And if somehow, some way, they don't get in at 11-1 as a Power 5 team with multiple ranked wins and a win at an SEC school on the road, uh, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Right, right. I mean, I don't even think they necessarily – because we don't know how team. I don't think that the, the committee thinks – like, I don't think they necessarily have to win a Big Ten – win the conference to, to be a playoff team. I think that they, they might have two Big Ten teams. We don't necessarily know. It, it just depends on what else is going to be going on with, with, you know, just in college football. Um, I, I think, like I said, I think USC has a really good chance to make the playoff because they could easily win the Pac-12. If they go, say, 11-1 and one and win the Pac-12, they're easily in, you know, they're easily in the playoff. Penn State, though, they do have a tougher road. Like, a team like USC doesn't have a Michigan or an Ohio State. No. Penn State has both of them. Penn State has both of them. Penn State has an undefeated Minnesota team. Penn State yeah. ends the year with, with a Michigan State team who, yeah, they just got shellacked in Seattle, but... They're I don't still, think Michigan uh, State. should be okay. I don't. It's, I don't think. Uh, I'm not. I wouldn't be too worried about Michigan State. Although there have been. They're always Michigan. tough. They're always tough. I, Michigan State. You put Penn Michigan State. State uh, you, you put Michigan State against USC on USC schedules this year, and that would be one of USC's biggest challenges. For no sure. doubt about it. For sure. Uh, certain, certainly. I, I find that Michigan State, even when they're having a bad year, they tend to at least have one pretty good win. So even when everybody writes them off, they win when they're not supposed to. That always it, They're almost like Purdue, except a bigger program. Yeah, and Michigan State has done it twice against Penn State. They did it in 2017, and that loss kept Penn State out of the playoff. And then they did it in 2018, at Penn State in 2018. So uh, Penn State fans never take Sparty for granted. It doesn't matter if Michigan State is five and six entering the last week of the season or ten and one. Penn State fans know that'll be a tough matchup. And if you remember in 2016, that that infamous year uh, when uh, in college football, when uh, Ohio State 
they when they made the playoff that year when their only loss was to Penn State, Michigan State was horrible. They were they were anywhere between awful and god awful. They were like Rutgers level bad that year. And they came within one point of Ohio State. So Michigan State tends to do good in these rivalry games when they're far inferior to these teams. Like like Ohio State was supposed to blow them out, but they got they actually they they lost by one point. Michigan State. So yeah, you're right. You never know. Yeah, and and I think when yeah, keep going. Yeah, I I just think one other thing to add about Penn State, you know, following these teams under James Franklin the last few seasons, they've had a, a large amount of very talented players, and even these last two years when they've gone eleven and eleven over the last two seasons. Sent a bunch of guys to the NFL last year in the draft. Most Big Ten, uh, most draft picks out of any Big Ten team, Penn State, and they went seven and five and, and five and six or whatever the the year before that. Uh, but to me, this Penn State team has so much talent. They really have no weaknesses because the offensive line looks good. You have a six year quarterback in Sean Clifford. You have multiple game changers on both sides of the ball. We talked about Singleton, Katron Allen, another phenomenal running back. On defense, Joey Porter Jr., he'll be a first-round pick. Chop Robinson, defensive end, looking like an elite pass rusher. Another true freshman and Abdul Carter at linebacker. Like, I I could go on Jair Brown, an elite safety. I can go on and on about this Penn State team. They have talent all over the field, and they have depth because they they recruited very well last year, and they have a lot of phenomenal impact freshmen who play. So I think this is the type of team that can withstand a difficult Big Ten schedule. And I, I they have Ohio State at home. Michigan away will be a test, but I agree, Nick. I don't see any reason why this team can't compete for a Big Ten title. Right. No, I totally agree. And the thing is, they also have the new walk-on Chad Powers. You got to watch that. <laughs> yeah, he gets slinging. He has that five four nine forty. right? You know what I love about that clip is that somebody at some point, first of all, the name Chad Powers, a guy with, the, with really long hair named Chad Powers is like the most Big Ten quarterback thing I can imagine. Like, I couldn't create in a lab a more of a Big Ten quarterback thing. But don't you think at some point somebody was like, you know, don't you think that guy with the long hair look has, like, the same face as Eli Manning? <laughs> at some point, somebody had to have said that. And somebody was like, yeah, I think I've noticed that. <laughs> I would love to hear an interview with Danny O'Brien, who's uh, an assistant for Penn State, who was kind of overseeing that. And he was like, oh, I think I found something in Chad Powers. An interview with him, an interview with the other – people trying out trying out for the team just to hear if they had any inkling of it being Eli Manning because you, you really can't tell obviously even if they wouldn't show that in the uh in the clip but I, I I agree I would love to know what they thought if that would they actually had be any really inkling funny, that was so if they were just breaking him down yeah well that's the thing Danny O'Brien who he played quarterback at Maryland and Wisconsin uh long time not a long time coach but he's been around the block a couple of years now he genuinely was excited. He's like, oh, my God, I found some some no-name guy off the street named Chad Powers. This guy is something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you love to, I would love to see that. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about conference realignment and all, you know, all of these teams going to, like, uh, I really want to talk to you about this for a while, like USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten, which, by the way, if I had told you, uh, by the way, like if I have told you, you know what, USC and UCLA will join the Big Ten before Notre Dame joins a conference. That sounds like a joke. It does. <laughs> that it absolutely, absolutely does, does sound like a joke. I first heard that. I was like, what? The Big Ten. Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC 
at least that makes sense. Missouri is already in the SEC. There, there's less of a justification for them being in the SEC than there is for, or, or at least than there is for Oklahoma. So, but at least it always geographically made at least a little bit of sense. The conferences, but UCLA and USC, it just blows that whole thing out of the water. I actually kind of like the conference realignment thing. I want more good teams to join the SEC so they have tougher schedules. If Clemson was in the SEC, they would have a lot. You don't like it. Keep you, going. Keep let, going. Let but I'll, I'll disagree with you. I like the thought of – I mean, there are downsides to it too. There are downsides to there being so many teams in one conference. Like it, there being 16 teams in one conference, um, the SEC only plays eight in-conference games. Okay. That could be a that could be an uh, that could be an issue for sure because it, like with, in terms of the scheduling and all that, um, but I do like that teams UCLA not so much because they they haven't really been that good in, in recent years for the most part. Uh, but a team like USC, I would rather them be in a stronger conference like the Big Ten as opposed to a weaker conference like the Pac-12, in which some years and it looks like this year possibly where they're the only good team in the whole conference and they easily win, like even with two losses, they, they can win the conference. So that's one thing I really like about the conference realignment. Um, I don't know. I mean, like if Oklahoma played in the SEC, that's a much tougher schedule for them, most likely. And unless like they, unless they, unless it breaks off like the big 10 where they have like an East and West thing and the West just is terrible or something like that. But chances are they're probably going to play tougher competition in the sec than they would if they were still in the big 12. They absolutely are. But are you willing to sacrifice in my eyes, what makes college football so special, the traditions, the history of the sport, the rivalries, because that's what's happening now. That's what's happening with college football. with conference realignment. We're not going to see Bedlam anymore. That's one of my favorite rivalries, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Uh, We're not going to see a lot of things now. Uh, The Pac-12 might just disappear. Uh, To me, It's close to doing that anyway. (laughs) Yeah, but, I mean, losing USC and UCLA is is like the final blow to the Pac-12 to me, which is why... George Klyovkov, the commissioner of the Pac-12, actually just today sent a letter to the UC Board of Regents uh, asking them to halt UCLA's move to the Big Ten. So it's not totally set in stone that this will absolutely happen yet. I'm, I'm actually kind of hoping that it doesn't, just selfishly, because like I said, I love the history and tradition of it. And college football historically has always been about the... I don't even know if this is a word, but the regionality of the sport, right? No, no, you're right. Now it's, it's all about the money. It's all about the money. And and I guess to a degree, I can't fault them about that because money is what makes the world go round, but you're losing a, something that makes college football so special is that it is so localized. Like, I love that. Yeah. I I, I love that. I do too. Well, I wouldn't say it's localized. Well, well, in some sense, it's localized. It's localized in terms of getting recruits. And that's not going to change regardless of conference realignment. That's still going to be the same thing. But in terms of conferences, it was all regional in terms of teams that they were playing. But it's very national in terms of popularity. Like, it's not. Oh, absolutely. So in that sense, it's a lot more national. 
Um, I would argue it was always about the money. It's just that the incentive, the money kind of changed a little bit now that there's more, there's a lot more channels on, there's a lot more teams that can be on TV. So that changes everything. Uh, So all of that changes a whole lot in terms of, I wouldn't say it was any different 30, 40 years ago. It was about the money then too. It was just a different sort of incentive structure at, at the time. Yeah, it was it was a different. It was the money came from a different place. I mean, back then you had a couple of college football games on TV at once. This is all started by the Big Ten wanting a new TV rights deal. SEC right. wanting a new. I mean, that that's it. That's 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 literally what caused it. But when when I say that it's local, I mean in that these schools fit with each other. Right. These right. fan bases have a common shared sense of hatred but also some sense of respect okay look look at look at um ucla joining the big 10 ucla Rutgers. does that do anything for what no No, not at all not i don't but you know what ucla leaving the pac-12 is going to hurt the pac-12 that much i think usc leaving is really what hurts them well, absolutely, but I think you could then look at it from a basketball perspective. UCLA is historically one of the best basketball programs sure. of all time. UCLA versus Arizona. That has always been must-watch TV when it comes to men's college basketball. And that's gone. And that's yeah. gone. It's, it's, but, it's but I mean, it, they're still probably going to play each other at some point. I, I mean, I doubt it. I honestly think what we're going to see, if the Pac-12 remains a thing, if the Big 12 remains a thing, I think that we will see some types of like embargo on playing against teams that left your conference. You think that would happen? I mean, it's happened already. It's happened already with some teams who have left. Like when do Texas A&M and Texas play anymore? No. Is that because of no. the embargo? I'm not aware. Not, no, not, not necessarily. But I, my point with that is that these teams don't play anymore to begin with. But I could absolutely see something where – there's something behind closed doors. These ADs are pissed that so-and-so left the conference and they decide that they're just not going to play them anymore. That could happen. That would be, and, that and, would be, that, that would and be for college of, football, for college football, think about it. You have three, depending on the conference, four or three chances a year. I think that'll be even less of non-conference games. I think they'll shrink the non-conference portion of the schedule once these super conferences commence. Um, but that means that there's even less incentive for you to schedule a formidable opponent in the non-conference. James Franklin said it after the Auburn game, he was asked, do you want to schedule another SEC team? He said, no, because our conference is tough enough. We'd want to win the non-conference. We don't want any losses. So why, why would, why would a, a USC go out and schedule a, a Stanford or, or an Oregon or, or, or a, uh, why would uh, why would a, a Texas or an Oklahoma go out and schedule an Oklahoma State? There's no incentive. Yeah, I think that's a real problem. I think that also kind of depends on how much the committee values non-conference in terms of which like they don't. It, which they don't. They just I value. Think they wins. do a little not, bit. Not at all. Not at all. They you value. Think they wins. Don't, you think they don't value non-conference schedule at all? Look at Washington's schedule in 2016 and tell me but that they Washington, value non-conference schedule. Their non-conference schedule was really bad. Um, but I don't think, I, I guess, all right, I actually, I actually do think you have a point that they don't value non Uh, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think, I think they value it a little bit in terms of how tough your schedule already was. Um, Washington, I think the reason 
Washington got in over State is simply because Penn State had two losses and Washington didn't. I think that, I think, in my opinion, this is part of the reason I support a 16 playoff, because I like the idea of having the top two teams get buys. And because, like, there's there are sometimes more than four teams that are good enough to compete for a title. Like 2016, I think Penn State was at least worthy of a shot of competing for a title. They may not have been top four, but I think they were at least good enough to compete for a title. A lot of times I feel that way about just about a team that's a little bit outside the top four. Now, sometimes the fourth team also stinks. That happens too sometimes. But I'd rather make a mistake the other way where I give a team a chance that probably isn't worthy than leave a team out that should that should have gotten a chance. Um, in terms of the non-conference, I, I just don't know. I'm not sure exactly. Um, I think they should. I think everybody agrees that they should value the non-conference. I don't want to. I don't want to ever incentivize teams to, you know, pull a Baylor in 2015 where they schedule nobody, or you know, Iowa's done some years or none of the, none of the teams that they play are any good. It, I don't want to do any of. I, I certainly that's certainly the last thing I ever want to do. Uh, I don't know. How many? Because I remember when Oregon lost to Auburn two, three years ago. Yeah. Now, actually, three years ago, they, Nick's Auburn, coming out they were winning the whole game. They ended up losing very beginning of the year. Very beginning of the year. I I don't think that Oregon didn't make the playoffs because of that loss. I think it had nothing to do with it. It's only because they lost to Arizona State. They could have beaten Auburn, and I still think they probably wouldn't have gotten in. So I don't know how much of it is really the committee incentivizing teams to schedule cupcake non-conference games although i will say one thing i really can't stand is when sec teams schedule like it's one thing to schedule a really easy non-conference game like ohio state's doing now in september there's a difference between that and doing it in like late november like right like right around thanksgiving time that i can't stand when they when uh when sec teams play like trinity in november like that's ridiculous Yeah, I mean, that's just the nature of their schedule, I guess, since they do have some conference games earlier in the year. But I, I agree. I mean, I, I just think and, – and you kind of proved, proved my point earlier in that saying 2016, the reason why Washington got in over Penn State is because Penn State lost in the non-conference. Exactly. If Penn State had, had – instead of playing Pitt, had played uh, Mercer, Penn State would have made the playoff over Washington. Maybe. No doubt about it. Um, no doubt about it. Yeah, probably. Um, it may have been because hey, they, was, they would have even made the, a playoff over Ohio State. Would they have made it over Ohio State if it if they they, they had, would have been ranked ahead of Washington and Ohio State? It they would have been ranked ahead of. I don't know. The thing is, I don't. So if they had played a team like Mercer, they scheduled nobody in the non-conference. Do you not – I mean, I don't know. I can't speak exactly for what the committee would have done because these situations don't come up that much. But if you were to say something like they were to play Mercer, they beat Mercer, they beat Ohio State. But don't forget, Penn State got dragged by Michigan that year. They got killed by Michigan that year. Now, I know Michigan, uh, Penn State had a lot of injuries and they were on the road and all that. I don't think – in my opinion, I don't think that they would have been – I don't think that if Penn State had played a team like Mercer, that Ohio State would have been ranked uh, would have been ranked below them. I, I really am not convinced that they would. Even have though Penn State beat them head to head and Penn State won the Big Ten championship, I still don't think they would have ranked them ahead of them. That 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 is 
preposterous. I guarantee you. I, I really don't think they would have. But but don't you see a flaw in that? Don't you see a flaw in that? Penn State beat them head to head. So you're so it's not that I don't see a flaw in it. Look, I, I think the reason is really more because. But the problem is, the problem the problem with that argument is, Michigan also beat Penn State head to head. Penn State was still ranked ahead of Michigan, so head to head's not everything. And Penn State has the Big Ten title over them. But Penn State has a Big Ten title yeah. and a head-to-head over Ohio State. I get that. Ohio I don't State think the in. committee values and the Michi- conference title game that much. I think they value okay, it. Okay, fine. I'll put it this way. Michigan overall, had two losses. I don't think that – I think the reason, the reason that Penn State was ranked below – now, it's silly to argue about something that happened 60 years ago. People are like, what is this? This was in 2016. But the reason ultimately is because Penn State didn't just have two losses. They had two pretty bad losses. Now, to be fair – Yes, they were bad. Three points against Pitt. They against Pitt. That's the point. It was against Pitt. Those were bad losses. Now, to be fair, Penn State may may have been a better team than Washington. Now, I think USC might have been a better team than Washington that year. But it's impossible to deny that Penn State's two losses, even though they were earlier in the year, were pretty bad. Whereas Ohio State's one loss against Penn State was pretty good. They were on the road against a top five team. Top at the time, I don't know what they were, but one of the top-ranked teams, they lost by a couple of points. Overall, that loss is not that bad to keep them out. I mean, I guess you could argue they would have been – maybe it's true Penn State would have been ranked ahead of Ohio State. I don't know. That's certainly possible. But I think that Ohio State is still a playoff team that year at the very least. Yeah, I think it would have been Penn State and Ohio State in from the Big Ten, both. Yeah, I mean, as long I mean, the thing is, I think the committee sometimes is a little bit too record obsessed. A, a, a little, a, a little bit, because I don't think the record, I don't think the saying "you are what your record says you are" really holds water in college football because there's so much context to it, as opposed to mm-hmm. just like in terms of some teams are in weak conferences, some teams schedule easy teams, injuries. You, like, is the difference between one loss and two loss necessarily that big? No. Realistically, no. Anybody who follows college football knows the difference between two losses and, and one loss is not necessarily anything. You can be undefeated. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. It, it doesn't. Um, but I don't know. You, you know who about, agrees with that mindset? What? You know who agrees with that sentiment that uh, your record, you are not what your record says you are in college football? Who? Scott Frost. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Nebraska disagreed. You are what your buyout says you are. <laughs> yes, even if it cost them $7.5 million more. You are what your buyout says you are. $15 million to get rid of him? All right, he's worth $15 million to get, tell him to get lost. All right, so we have a bunch of games that I want to get to. Um, I know you're, like I said before, I know you're not a gambler. Um, there's some games that I really like. Um, now, the lines may have changed within the past couple of uh, hours or so when I put this all together. Um, but it's not by much. Um, all right. So Maryland at Michigan minus 17. I love the under so far in this game, just because Michigan always hits the under. I don't know. Cause here's the thing. Maryland is a better team than they get credit for. I think that they're a little bit like they do have a, they do have a good receiving core. They can really pass. They can pass pretty well. Uh, so overall, I think Michigan, uh, Maryland, I mean, could cover against Michigan. I would probably take Michigan to cover 17. But you know what? Sometimes Michigan, you know what? Against teams like this, they don't always play. They don't, even if they're winning by a lot, 
you I think Michigan is one of those teams that could win like 14 to 7, but they're they're really winning by a lot more, but the score doesn't say so. So I wouldn't touch this game, but I like the under because Michigan, these Michigan games have all been going under. I yeah, I like the under and I I like Maryland to cover. Yeah. I think Michigan is I think Michigan's gonna face something they have not seen this year. And I think Michigan is considerably better than Maryland. But I, I think given the fact that they have not been tested whatsoever this year, uh, Maryland's going to throw a couple of haymakers at them early. I could see Michigan winning this one by uh, by like 13 to 16. 13 to 16 points. Okay, I, I was like, that's a really odd random score. <laughs> no, 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 13 to 16 points. So I do think Maryland will cover. Okay, okay. So here's another one that I, lo- that I like. Um, Florida at Tennessee. Tennessee is giving 10 and a half points. I love Florida in this. Uh, 10 and a half points is a really big spread. I get that they're on the road and all, but 10 and a half points is a really big spread. I don't think either of these teams are really that great. Tennessee, I like their offense, but their defense is not very good. I don't think their defense is good enough to be 10 point favorites against anybody, to be honest. I mean, like it took them overtime to beat Pitt when they, when on their backup quarterback, like it was just, it, it, I don't know if Tennessee is 10 points better. I really like them to win outright. You like Florida to win outright? Yeah, 10. Uh, no, I like Tennessee to win outright. Tennessee, okay. I, I really like Tennessee to yeah. win outright. Um, and I, I – uh, so that's, that's why, like, in this, in this uh, particular matchup, it, I, I like them to – like I said, I like Tennessee's offense, but I think their defense kind of stinks. And Florida's one of the – they're just very up and down. They beat Utah. Everybody was really high on – everybody was really high on uh, on uh, on Florida after they beat Utah and all that. And it's like 10, 10.5 points is a lot. Even if they win 30 to 20, okay, Tennessee still covers. It's going to come down to which Anthony Richardson will we see? Will we see the Anthony Richardson of the Utah game? Will we see the Anthony Richardson of the Kentucky game? If it's somewhere in the middle, I still think, I think it's, if it's somewhere in the middle of that or more towards the Utah performance, Florida will cover. If it's, if it's the Utah performance, Florida will win this game outright. This is one. I'm actually a little bit surprised that Tennessee that they're 10 and a half point favorites. That's a lot of points. Uh, and this is one that I would be, I would not be shocked whatsoever to see Florida win outright. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't be terribly shocked. I mean, they're on the road, so it's difficult, but yeah, in terms of this game, like, I don't know. Tennessee is one of those teams you can't really trust. I mean, you can't trust Florida either, but they're not getting They're They're the team getting the 10 and a half points. Yeah. And, and you always have that danger of playing against a wounded animal, right? Florida, they're a wounded animal right now. They just took one of the chin last week. They almost last got weekend. embarrassed by, UC, by, U, uh, by South Florida, which, by the way, geographically is not in yeah. South Florida. It's in Tampa. makes no sense. Yeah, no I sense. don't know anybody these, calls Tampa South Florida. Yeah, yeah, but these last two weeks have been tough for them, Kentucky and, and USF. And USF should have abs- absolutely been a loss for them. This is their time to turn the season around. If Florida can knock off Tennessee, they're right back in the mix in the SEC East, and it's going to come down to the world's largest outdoor cocktail party when they play Georgia. 
If they lose, <laughs> their season's done. That's actually what the rabbits, the best name for a rivalry ever, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. I yeah. I actually had South Carolina. I think I may have mentioned I had South Carolina last week against Georgia. Georgia just looks too good. Um, I want to talk. Uh, speaking of Georgia, um, hold up, Nick. Were you at South Car- You at South Carolina money line? No, I'm not crazy. Oh, okay. like minus twenty. Oh, okay. It was like plus twenty five. Like okay, I think twenty five points is fine. I thought Georgia would have at least like slowed down at some point. Um, all right, so Arkansas. At Texas A and uh, Arkansas at Texas A and M, Texas A and M is giving two points, which kind of shocks me because Texas A and M, Texas A and M always seems to. Uh, I mean, this year their run game is hard. Their uh, run defense is horrible. Appalachian State essentially could have walked down the field against uh, against A and M, and and Arkansas has a tremendous run game and a running quarterback. So Texas A&M should easily – I don't see – I don't think – I mean, they're favored because they're the home team, obviously. Um, overall, though, I think Arkansas is the better team. I think Arkansas should pull this off. I think Arkansas will pull it off straight up. And I, yeah, I, outright. this game, it's – yeah, outright. I think it's I think it's actually at uh, – it's at Jerry's World. I think it's at uh, the Cowboys Stadium. Um, and uh, I'm not sold – on Texas A&M at all. You talked about their defense. I'm going to talk about their offense. I remember watching their spring game a couple months ago and thinking to myself, this King guy, he's the best they have. Now they have Max Johnson at quarterback. They win a game, yeah, but he completed 50% of his passes. You're telling me that all of these five-star recruits that Texas A&M is bringing in, all this NIL money that they are throwing at guys, and they can't find themselves a good quarterback? Yeah, that's it. It blows me away that they that Jimbo Fisher, who is who is literally the quarterback whisperer, <laughs> can't go out there and recruit a solid QB. They already gave up uh, on their. They already gave up on Haynes King. Haynes King, first of all, is like the weirdest form of all time. But it blows me away that they can't go out and find somebody better than Haynes King or or a Max Johnson. I mean, a, a guy who who couldn't even keep the starting job at LSU. Blows me away. If they had a decent quarterback, I think AM would be a playoff contender, but they don't. They have a and they, they really have no good quarterbacks right now. And I like Arkansas money line of this one. Yeah, yeah, that, that's in the yeah. I was I was actually kind of surprised that they were uh that they were that Texas AM was favored, but you know, you never know. Um I also hate how much I love Wisconsin this game. Um I double checked on the app. It's actually down to 18 and a half now instead of 19, whatever for what it's worth. Um, at least on the FanDuel app, which is what I use. Uh, it's down to 18 and a half. Um, either way, I still – now, you might not agree with me on this. Even though I know you're an Ohio State hater, you might not agree with me on this. Like I said before, I hate how much I love Wisconsin. They – first of all, the thing is, is that there's a few reasons. First of all, Wisconsin has a very good run game. Uh, Ohio State, so far, we know nothing about. Other than that, they were only able to put up 21 points against Notre Dame. They went, they beat Notre Dame by 11 points. We know Notre Dame stinks now. Oh, and Ohio State, they, first of all, they usually don't cover a spread like this in these games against Wisconsin. And it's worth noting, Ohio State usually isn't very impressive in September. They're not the best September team. And even if Ohio State wins by a lot, even if they win by 14 to 17 or 18 points, that doesn't cover, but that still makes Ohio State look pretty good. And given that 
the, both these teams can run the ball. I mean, Wisconsin runs a lot. They play. They have a very strong defense. This is the best defense Ohio State would be playing for the year. The best defense. I don't think there's. I don't think Ohio State covers. I think they went outright, but I don't think they're good enough to cover. Uh, Nicholas, Nicholas, Nicholas. I will disagree with you big time, my friend. Uh-oh. I think Ohio State will cover this and will cover with ease. This is the same Wisconsin team that lost to Washington State. Washington State. But the Washington two games, State isn't that bad. Nick, If I, I don't think Wisconsin should be losing to Washington State. And you look at the other two games they played, New Mexico State, Illinois State. This is their first real test of the season. And Ohio State, their offense is unstoppable. Uh, you can put the best DBs in the country against and you're not going to slow them down. CJ Stroud is phenomenal. They have a lot of depth on defense as well. I think the Buckeyes win this one by at least three touchdowns. You think? But yes. how good did Ohio State look against Notre Dame? Notre Dame so far looks – I mean, this is the same for, team that Marshall, and they were only able to win for, by points. For week one of the season, I think they looked pretty good. I think they look. I mean, now it's uh, week three of the season. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm not. I'm saying, saying no, 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 no. But you, you asked about Notre Dame, the Notre Dame game. I said for week one of the season, I thought they looked pretty good in that one. But do you think they're that much better week three of the se- uh, sorry week four of the season? Yes. Your coaches talk about it all the time. Teams make the biggest jump between week one and week two. And I think now Ohio State, their offense is is just dynamic. Uh, I, there's no doubt about it in my mind that there are certain things these last couple of games they've held back that now they will implement against Wisconsin. And I, I'm, I have never been, and unless he shows me something different, probably never will be sold on Graham Mertz being anything special at Wisconsin. I don't think Wisconsin can score enough points in this one. I think Ohio State can easily put up a 35 spot, 38 points. See Wisconsin scoring more than 17. You don't, but how much? So you see Ohio State putting up like 50 points or something like that? No, I I think high 30s, low 40s. I could see okay, that. I, I say a little less. But like I said before, oh, I think that even if they win by about two touchdowns, even if they win by 17 points, they still cover. Like, I, like honestly, this game smells like backdoor cover. That's kind of what it says to me. It, it, I, I could see Ohio State being up by 21 near the end of the game and Wisconsin marches downfield, scores a touchdown or something. I guess I could see that. But but to me, when I just look – when I watch these teams play this year – Wisconsin has not impressed me. Ohio State, to me, is probably the third most impressive team in college football so far. Just eye test, especially in offense. I mean, this this offense is unreal. You have an elite running back in Travion Henderson, an elite quarterback in C.J. Stroud, and multiple elite wide receivers, and a guy in Julian Fleming who was highly touted coming out of high school and is finally finding his stride as that third option. Uh, in, in that wideout room. To me, I, I don't see how Wisconsin can keep up with Ohio State at all. 
Yeah, um, Kansas State at Oklahoma. Oklahoma's giving 12 and a half. Uh, I really like Oklahoma to win this by two touchdowns or more, at least. I really like Oklahoma this year. I wasn't too high on Oklahoma before. I'm very often anti-Oklahoma to some degree, but I really like how good their defense is. Um, a lot of the fans like Brent Venables and his system. Uh, I like them. To, they should be able to beat Kansas State by a lot. Oklahoma is at the level, and I like Dylan Gabriel. Forgot to mention him. Um, but just from defense alone, I think they're good enough to beat uh to uh to beat Kansas State by two touchdowns or more. I love Oklahoma in this game. I loved Oklahoma yesterday. Uh, yesterday, last week, everybody was. It felt like it was. It felt like I wouldn't say everybody. It felt like everybody was doubting me. The line in the game last week against Nebraska actually went down from like twelve and a half to eleven and a half because so many people were betting Nebraska. I really like Oklahoma in all these games. Um, I don't. They should, like I said, they should easily be able to uh, beat a team like Kansas State by two touchdowns or more. I'm with you. I'm 100% with you on this, Nick. Uh, I think you look back last couple of years under Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma, they've struggled against Kansas State. And I think that's just because the DNA of Kansas State under Chris Kleiman is physical lunch pail football, right? He's a guy who came from North Dakota State. He's going to ground and pound, he's going to win in the trenches. Meanwhile, Oklahoma, they were a little bit more of a finesse team under Lincoln Riley. That's changed this year. This team plays with an attitude, like you said, especially on defense. They have not allowed more than 14 points in a single game this season. And not to say they've played the toughest schedules, but in years past, I think Oklahoma would have allowed more than that. But their defense is great. Their offense is more than serviceable. I think Brett Venables has really changed they always talk about OU DNA. He's really changed the OU DNA to now be a, a hard-nosed, defensive-minded team. Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, USC and uh, and Oregon State, plus Oregon State's getting six points. I love USC. Uh, it may have changed. Let me uh, let me just double check. It may have gone up, but it may, may have gone up to like six and a half or something like that. Um, but I really, I really like USC this game. Um, it's probably not, it's probably not up to seven by now. Uh, by now, it's yeah, it's still USC minus six. So I really like I really like USC this game to beat Oregon State. They should easily be able to win this. Oregon State's played nobody. Nick, it's interesting. Uh, it's reading on Twitter, and not to say I know much about gambling, so I don't necessarily you know, know why this football. is the situation. You know, I know college football. football. You you know, but yeah. but reading but this this is an interesting tweet that I'm I'm reading here from from Ben Fox of uh, VSIN Live. He said more money has been wagered on Oregon State to cover the spread, which at that point was six and a half versus number seven USC, than any other college football or NFL game so far this week at Caesars. The book has taken a hundred ten thousand dollars and one hundred ten thousand dollar bet in Oregon State plus several five figure wagers on the Beavers to cover. It is, is mind-blowing <laughs> you know, to me. I will say, <laughs> I am not a financial expert. I'm not Dave Ramsey. But I will say, the way to get rich is not betting five figures on Oregon State. Just saying. Or, uh, yeah. My piece of financial advice. You could do something a little better with your money than waging five figures. I don't know how anybody is so confident in a team like Oregon State. To, uh, to, <laughs> like that they put five figures on it. That is fascinating. Wow. And it was, what was it, seven points at the time? Six and a half points? Six and a half. Well, there was somebody who put $110,000 on Oregon State. Holy shit. That is wild stuff. 
That is yes. wild stuff. That's even more of a reason to take USC. I'm taking USC. And I do want to just give some credit, though, to Jonathan Smith, who has quietly done a remarkable job at Oregon State. Right. That is one of the toughest places in all of college football to win. They haven't done it since Mike Riley left. And even when he was there, they didn't do it a ton. They really had a great year in 08 with Jaquiz Rogers, James Rogers, Moy Bow was the quarterback. That was a squad. But uh, it's been a while since they were decent. And just the fact that Oregon State is now making some noise in the national stage, and rightfully so, speaks volumes of the job that Jonathan Smith has done. So kudos to my fellow Jonathan. You're doing well out there in Corvallis. <laughs> well, I love, I love this one, Duke at Kansas. <laughs> is this, my, the, uh, is like this the, like the final four or something? Yeah, it feels like it. Uh, Kansas is – I really like – Duke's defense is terrible. Kansas is now like this high-powered offense. It's crazy that Kansas could be favored ever now because I'm old enough to remember when Kansas was like the Rutgers of the Big 12. That's basically what Kansas was for a while. They were worse. But, they were worse, absolutely. Yeah, they were, they were so bad, so, so bad for a while. But I really like Kansas minus seven this game and the over, 66 points, 65 and a half. I'm loving the over. I'm hammering both of those. I like Kansas. Um, talk about tough places to be successful at. Oregon State is up there. Kansas might just be the toughest. Yeah. And Lance Leopold, who has won everywhere he's gone, at the D3 level, Buffalo, and now what he's doing at Kansas is nothing short of a miracle. Right. I like Kansas to cover. Their offense is so fun to watch. It's one of those offenses where where it, it's like you're back, you're playing at recess. You draw off these crazy plays and you hope and pray. Like us in the, the Cavallini uh, blacktop, <laughs> right? Just drawing up these crazy reverses and double passes. That's what they do. And it works. I like the Jayhawks. All right. So how about cover. this game? Iowa at Rutgers, oh. plus seven and a half. I actually like Rutgers because seven points for a team like Iowa is like a million. I mean, this team, this game is – I really think this game is going to be like very low scoring. And that half a point, if it was six and a half, I would take Iowa. But because it's seven and a half, I'm taking Rutgers. Uh, I'm taking Rutgers. I never thought uh, – I mean, I'm not, I can't bet on this game because I don't – because it's a New Jersey game, so I can't bet on Rutgers. It's funny because I didn't know for a while that you couldn't bet on Rutgers. That I, that I wasn't allowed to bet on Rutgers. And, that, and I found out, I was like, by accident, I was like, wait, I can't bet on Rutgers. And I realized I never bet on Rutgers. Why would I bet on Rutgers? <laughs> like, it's just, either the games are so irrelevant, and I would never bet on Rutgers. So I'm just like, no. <laughs> like, I just realized that I just never touched those games anyway. So, but like, by accident. So, I mean, if I were allowed to take this game, I would take Rutgers uh, plus seven and a half. So now if Rutgers ends up, uh, ends up covering, I'm going to be, like, really mad that I can't make Well, Nick, can just drive to, Actually, like, I think I can. Technically, technically, I can maybe if I were in New York. Yeah, just drive over I the border. It matters if I'm in New York. If, if it's where if, – if it's the residency or oh, where you are okay. geographically, I'm not sure how that works. Um, so I might be able to if I'm in, located in New York. Uh, but I know, like, the app won't show it at um, in as long as I'm in New Jersey, which is, I totally forgot about. I'm, you, you, I'm with you on this. I 
I don't see how Iowa's offense, yeah, they did okay last weekend, finally. Like, they actually scored a couple of touchdowns. Good for them. The defense is going to be amazing. But uh, Rutgers is getting better. And I like Rutgers to cover. Iowa's offense is like a running punchline, essentially. It is. It absolutely is. I could see Iowa winning this game like seven to five. Rutgers gets a safety and a field goal. (laughs) So you want to see this really unnecessary wager that I made? Okay. All right, here it is. Kansas minus seven and a half. Notre Dame plus one and a half. Now I almost never take. I know I almost never take Notre Dame. Um, Florida plus ten and a half. Arkansas plus two and a half. Wisconsin plus eighteen and a half. Oklahoma minus twelve and a half. And USC minus five and a half. Ten dollars to win nine hundred and twenty-six dollars and sixty-five cents. Well, I wish you luck, my friend. Thank you. I mean, I'm going to hate myself for it, most likely at some point. <laughs> you know, you know what I always say to sports gamblers, because it, it's a losing proposition. Just take your money and put it into uh, S and P 500 index fund. You know, it sounded like Dave Ramsey. Yeah, I know you do. Um, I will say though, people spend money on crazy things. I mean, that are sometimes crazier than just gambling. Like people would spend six figures on a watch. And I would say the same thing. It's like, I don't know, to us gamblers, gambling is like entertainment. If you win, to us, losing money on a game is like, or losing money at the casino is kind of like what it would be like for somebody who likes shows to spend money at a, to watch a Broadway play. We would just rather lose the money at the casino playing the games with the chance of us at least winning than spend it at a show, for instance. That's kind of how it is being a gambler. If I could, if I could best sum up how we feel, and people who aren't gamblers don't get it, but that, that's essentially what it is. It's, it's spending money on entertainment, like everybody else does. So you're saying that the worst people financially are the people who are gamblers and pay money to go see shows. Yes, yes. If, <laughs> if you want to go to a casino and then go to a show afterwards, I can't help you. You're going to go broke. <laughs> you're going to be like $10,000 in debt for that. Yeah, don't do that. Pick one. Pick a Broadway play. Pick one of three things. A Broadway play, um, gambling, or a water bottle at Yankee Stadium. One of those three <laughs> things, I think j- – you know, one of the <laughs> me. I don't go to Yankee Stadium. I avoid that place at all costs. But you know, essentially, and trust me, the costs That's are why. high. Yeah, Atlantic City. Don't go from Yankee Stadium to Atlantic City. That is a losing proposition. All right. Yeah, so thanks for coming on, John. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, this is uh, this is out of line. We'll be back next week. Have a good day, everybody. Have a good uh, weekend.